Welcome to another episode of the Around the Keg Podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, joined as always by my two co-hosts, Matt and Lando, and our tech producer, Keys. This week, we have reactions from week two of the college football season, starting with Oregon's big win at Ohio State and Arkansas knocking off Texas. We have some great mailbag questions ranging from Rutgers to the potential new playoff contenders and some locks of the week for the gambling fiends out there. You will not want to miss a single second. Hope you guys enjoy. I've had a bad case of what I've called the rangies. I hit really nice on the range, and then when I get to the golf course, I, I look like I haven't. I've never played played golf in my entire life. I look like keys. I look like I'm just out there, <laughs> just just swinging the club like a baseball bat. Honestly, that's where I got, I got there over the summer. Like I was playing, I played a lot. Like there was like multiple weeks where I'd play three, four times a week, just because it's dirt cheap at country land, and then. One of the kids that plays on my baseball team, his dad is the groundskeeper at Lanier, like the Lake Lanier course, like at oh. Lanier Islands. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he would get us out there for free. What? And so I was playing a lot. Yeah, 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 dude. Wow. It's it's nice. I'll, I'll I will have to whenever we do a a, a we can do an ATK for sure thing. I can get a tee time for four for for comp and it's like a hundred it's a hundred dollars per person typically you get free hot dogs you get free water you get free range balls it's it's like one of those bougie courses but you, you will lose a ton of balls because 16 out of 18 holes are on the water mm. and you can see water from every hole so mm. it's uh but yeah i have to get us out there one day whenever we're able to get there so what you're saying is is i have to make sure my game is in tip top form before I actually go play there, so I, so I don't look look like a look ridiculous. That's what you're saying. Oh, dude, I've gone out there and I've gone out there and looked ridiculous. I shot a 117 out there. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, that is that yeah. is rough. Well, but see, I, it, to, it, it, here's here's the thing though. Oh like I god. I gave myself an honest 117, and I would rather <laughs> shoot an honest 117 than do what like one of the guys that was with me. He shot a 96, and I was like, "No, you didn't, dude. You hit the ball in the water just as much as I did. Like I would drop a shot if I hit it in the water. I would hit a tee shot in the water, and then I'd hit another shot, and I'd be like, "All right, that was number three for me." And he'd hit a shot in the water, and then he'd be like, "Oh, uh, I'm gonna hit another really. one," and then not count it. And I'm like, "Dude, that is that is yeah. just BS." Like BS. you're shooting it. I would rather shoot a 117 and it be a true 117 than a cheap 96. You know that that's always that's always a good test of character. Is is out on the golf course, you know? Ah, uh, I just shanked that one. You know what? I'll just put one down here. Am I going to actually, you know, drop myself a shot there, or am I just going to count this one? That, that's always a good test of character. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I mean, honestly, I mean, come on. Everybody gets at least one mulligan, maybe per yeah. nine, maybe per 18. You know, like maybe two off the first tee. That makes sense. But if you hit three in the water and then your fourth shot after that is a hole in one, you're not going to take the hole in one. You can't oh, be yeah. that guy. All right. No, so, no, no. So wh- wh- where are you on like on like relief? So so say I shank one off into the woods somewhere and literally there there's no playable shot. Where are you on like relief? Like do you care? There's no playable shot, as in like you're in a bad. The ball's in a bad spot, or you can't find the ball. No, the, no, the ball's in a bad spot. I found the ball, but the ball's in a bad spot. I think I usually play like say it's like on a tree stump or like it's right behind a tree. I usually yeah. play like a club length or two club lengths. Oh, okay, it's fair enough. 
Because that's what it is when you hit it in the water. Or if you're on like the cart path, I think you get two club links. It could be any club in the bag, so it could be like two drivers. Uh, two drivers. Oh, but, okay. And you can't be anywhere. You can't be anywhere closer to the hole. So you gotta go kind of gotta like a on. sideways, backwards kind oh, of. Oh, okay. That's what I usually do. Because obviously, I'm not gonna hit it off the cart path. I don't want to break my clubs. I'm not. I'm not True. a pro golfer whose whose title is sponsor will just throw them a nine iron mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. whenever they want. Well, speaking of hitting it into the water, how about Ohio State, huh? I'm so happy that cool. they lost. So happy that they lost. That was a rough game. Oregon actually looked a lot better than I thought they did. That I thought they would. But uh and especially on offense, man. Anthony Brown, uh Boston College transfer quarterback, first year starting, did a really good job. They did they had a really good run game going. I knew Ohio State's defense was not that good. They didn't look good against Minnesota either. But man, they looked really bad against Oregon. They looked awful. Was I the only one on the pod to pick Oregon last week? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you were, you were. Yeah, I, I honestly, I see. I thought that it was a an outlier, though, man. Like I, the way that they played against Fresno State, I did not see that same team against Ohio State. They were a much better team. Week one. That's why I said last week on the pod. Week one is a liar. Week one is for sure a liar. Oklahoma is a much better team than they were against Tulane. Oregon is a better team than they were against Fresno State. Ohio State maybe isn't as good as we thought they were preseason. See, I so I, I watched Ohio State uh, week one, and I knew Ohio State wasn't that good. And, and and just judging off what I saw from Oregon, Oregon was clearly a better football team, and they won that game without their without their two best defensive players. All right, so we have to take in, take that into account. That game probably would have been a lot worse for Ohio State if they had their two best defensive players. I think uh, C.J. Stroud has a lot to learn. He looked good at times. One of his touchdown passes, it was when it was early in the game, and it was when they actually tied the game. He only threw that touchdown pass because the two defenders were looking down at their wristbands while uh, uh, he had snapped the ball. So that was the only reason he had that one touchdown pass. So I think he has a lot of growing up to do. They're going to learn from this game against Oregon. They're probably going to. They're most likely going to go undefeated in the Big Ten. So we'll have to see what happens with uh, Ohio State. I think Oregon's legit. They are le- legit a top four team in the country. If if they went out and win the Pac-12 championship game, they're going to get into the playoff. I feel like this year there's so much par- more parity in college football than we're used to. I don't know if Oregon is a top four team, only because I don't know that Ohio State is what we were hyping them up to be. Because we're, we were comparing Ohio State this year and like talking about how they're a top four team. They're probably a lot for the playoff out of the Big Ten. And week one... And I've seen Ohio State do this numerous times. 2018 against Indiana, they did the same thing. They came out, they looked terrible in the first half. They ended up pulling away a little bit in the second half. They won by 14 or 21, uh, and but it was an ugly game overall. I thought that that was the same thing we were going to get with Minnesota, and that's exactly what happened. So I thought that that, that was kind of like going to be the, all right, we've got the rust knocked off, now the wheels start turning. And, man, if they were playing that game in Oregon, I probably would have picked Oregon. I thought it was going to be a close game. I didn't see Oregon coming in and bullying Ohio State like they did. I mean, that, they, Ohio State got bullied at home. Yeah. Um, what happened to Master Teague, uh, Ohio State's running back from last year? He, I know he played last week, but I didn't really see a whole lot of him, if at all, on Saturday. Is he injured or something? Yeah. I don't know uh, how much of week one you watched. He, he really didn't look that good. 
In week one, Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson, uh, who was the number one running back from last year's recruiting class, both of those guys looked way better than Master Teague. Master Teague, honestly, to me, is more of like that like third and short, like goal line type running back where you just need to get some tough yards you want to put him in. I just don't – he hasn't really impressed me all that much against better teams throughout his career uh, since he's been at Ohio, at Ohio State. He's always been overshadowed by J.K. Dobbins. Trey Sermon ended up overshadowing him last year down the stretch going into the playoff. He's, to me, just not the running back one that Ohio State fans kind of thought he would end up being. Yeah, Ohio State's got an identity issue on offense right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because they can't run the football like they, they needed to. Um, and C.J. Stroud has not developed enough as a quarterback. I think he's all right. He's made some good throws, but he also missed a couple of throws that he missed a guy that was wide open, had like two or three yards of separation and just overthrew him. Yeah. And that's stuff that in, oh. in, in college football, you can't, you can't do that. And, I mean, that's like throws last year that Mac Jones got no credit for for making. This dude was missing. Matt, you, you, you bring up a great point. Um, there was one throw. It was later in the game. Ohio State was was down, and they really needed like, like a spark. And Stroud is rolling out to his right, and he throws a ball to um, uh, Olave. Olave. He, he throws a ball to Olave, and he completely airmails it. Now, it would, if, if he throws a dart, throws a perfect pass, it's a first down for sure, and it keeps the drive alive. But when he airmails it, you can see Olave's like like – Body body expression, his shoulders shrug, his his head kind of goes this guy because he's like, man, if this kid hits just a couple passes here and there, we can be in this game, we could win this game. So I really think that he's kind of bogging down this offense, and you know, um, it's it's going to take a lot for the Ohio State coaching staff to get C.J. Stroud uh, to where he needs to be. Well, and the crazy thing is too, their offense has actually been really good. Still, I mean, they're they're still one of the better offenses in college football with. C.J. Stroud playing the way he has. And honestly, I mean, he's making passes. He's scoring points. He's putting yards up. I mean, I think he had over 420 yards last week against Oregon. The problem is he's missing guys in big time. He's missing wide open guys in really important opportunities on third and longs, uh, like deep in the fourth quarter. He threw that really, really bad interception, kind of pretty much to seal the game right there at the end. Um, I, I mean, I think he still has time to develop. I think I'm, you know, pumping the brakes on Ohio State not being a top four team. I think they still could be. I'm not calling them a top four team right now. But, I mean, upcoming, they got Tulsa, they got Akron, uh, Rutgers, Maryland, and then Indiana before they have to play Penn State. That's not really that tough of a schedule. Like, cause it kind of gives them time to get the young guys on defense where they need to be, get C.J. Stroud a little bit more comfortable playing against teams that aren't really going to give him any kind of competition. Um, and honestly, I mean, if, if he keeps playing the way he's been playing, he might get benched for Quinn Ewers. I mean, that's part of the reason they went ahead and got him out of high school is just in case they needed him to be the starter this year, they could throw him in. Um, and they got another five-star, too, uh, from last year, one of the top guys. And, I mean, I could see him being thrown in, too, so – if there is one video I could associate with Ohio State losing this weekend, it'd be uh, their drum major when he's running from the tunnel, and he trips on over his own feet and eats complete crap, like eats the pavement. See, that's that was, that's that is bad vibes right there. I mean, after you see something like that, if I was an Ohio State student and I saw that, that would immediately bring my mood down for the whole rest of the game. I'd be like, oh, there it is. That's the sign right there. Whenever there's something like that, like UGA Texas when bevo attacked uga or like anything crazy before game it, it just brings the vibes down and completely kills the momentum you know 
props to him though. He he got up, kept trucking, kept kept it moving along. I know he had to be hella embarrassed though, because that's embarrassing. The first home game of the year, uh, the stadium is full capacity, it's packed. Fans are happy to be to be back in the stands, and you're running out to to dot the eye. Well, he doesn't dot the eye. The the other guy does it, but you're running out because you're the the drum major, and you'd completely eat crap and faceplant. Yeah, that was that was funny. I think the the second funniest thing from this weekend is Texas just being a no show in Fayetteville, Arkansas. All right, so I do kind of want to address this Texas thing. What 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 is everybody expecting from Texas? You know, Texas has a new head coach. They're in a rebuild. All right, he has none of his players, like none of his uh, players that fit his system. There, they have no quarterback. You know, it's it's basically the team from last year that was not good. Arkansas, on the other hand, is in their second year with Sam Pittman, who is a really good football coach, and it shows. Like, like Arkansas is a good football team. What did we all expect from Texas? What did we expect them to be a top ten team in the country in their first year? I think the reason they're getting so much hate for that too is people were not expecting Arkansas to be that good of a team coming to this year. I mean, everyone had Arkansas projected either third or second to last in the entire SEC, and obviously, to me and probably to you guys as well. They're not that team. I mean, they're they're a top twenty team in the AP poll right now. They're a really good football team. Sam Pittman's a great coach. He's done a great job at making the most out of the talent that he had there when he got to Arkansas. I think he's going to continue doing that. I mean, he's got the culture exactly where it needs to be, um, and, it, and it hasn't been that way for a while. And I mean, when Brett Bielema's first couple years there, they had a couple winning seasons, but since then they've just been absolute dumpster fire. So. Um, I mean, that, that's probably why. I mean, Texas fans, if I was a Texas fan and my team just lost to Arkansas, who was last in the SEC two years ago, I'd probably feel the same way. But I think as the season goes on, I, th- I don't think Texas is as bad as people think. I think Arkansas is a lot better than people think. I don't think Arkansas is a top 15 team, but I think they're going to hang around the top 25 for most of the year. No, and that's I think that's why it's so fu- it's funny to me that Texas was a no show solely because if you look at talent and talent alone, Texas should be able to at least compete with Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas last year won games, uh, a few games in an all-SEC schedule that they probably should have lost, but they also hung around in games that they probably should not have been in. Um, So I think Sam Pittman's a great coach. I don't think that they are, you know, I I think that this is being overhyped because Texas is such a big brand that people assume that Texas is still the Texas of 2005 or 2009, any of those great teams that they had, but they're just not. I still think it's funny, though, just because Texas has had this complex about themselves, too, especially since they've joined the the SEC, that they're going to come in and they're excited to to dominate the SEC, and they're going to be back, and then they come into an SEC town and just get annihilated. They looked awful. That was, I mean, it, it was bad. I think Arkansas is good, but I, I, I did not see it being that that big of a – it wasn't really a blowout. I mean, it was a beatdown, but it wasn't – it was domination from Arkansas. I'll say this too in defense of Texas and Steve Sarkeesian. That was probably the most people to show up for an Arkansas football game in like 20 years. I mean, that stadium was – Packed. I mean, they rushed the field. They got fined, what, $100,000 by the SEC for rushing the field at the end of the game? That was probably the biggest win in Arkansas since, like, the Ryan Mallett days. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, playing Texas at home is a massive game for them, no matter how what their rankings are, no matter how good the team is any year. I mean, that's that's huge for them. Oh, yeah, and, and I remember 
watching SEC Nation on Saturday a little bit, and they were talking about how this is the biggest game since Darren McFadden, even. I mean, th- and that's a that's a town that they love Arkansas football. Uh, Arkansas is a, a much bigger – they think of themselves very highly as a football program, uh, and the people there are very proud of their Razorbacks. And Razorback fans are – very, very passionate when it comes to football. So it, it's good to see them rocking again because that just continues to add to the to the storyline of what we're going to get out of the SEC West this year, which Texas A&M doesn't look like they're going to be the Texas A&M that we were sold preseason. Yeah, um, apparently the uh, Texas A&M quarterback, Haynes King, has a crack in his leg, so he's going to be out for a majority of the season. So they're gonna, it's going to be that other guy starting – uh, for the a good part portion of the season, they didn't look good at all, though, on either side of the ball. No, they didn't. I mean, their defense is what gave them that win. I think Jake Calzada, I think, is his name. Uh, I yeah, think Zach, that he Zach Calzada, Zach Calzada, Zach, Zach Calzada. He was all right, um, but he he kind of got thrown into the lights uh, a little bit because he wasn't expecting to go in. Uh, you know, he's been behind Haynes King this whole time. I don't think there was really ever a competition between the two. Uh, there might have been said it might have been said that there was, but Haynes King was the guy pretty much all year, all off season. That's all you heard about out of out of College Station. And then for them to show up and lay an absolute dud in Colorado like that, I mean, obviously, I think that they're going to fix that some of that stuff. Some of that could have been the, the altitude or whatever else that they want to say was going on out there in Colorado, but. I was not impressed at all by what I've saw I've seen out of Texas A&M. And I really wasn't that impressed with what I saw out of them week one either. I don't think that they got a great start. I think they played Kent State week one, and they didn't look impressive at all in that game either. So really pretty much all I saw this weekend is Alabama is going to go undefeated. Matt, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. You were all stressing out a couple weeks ago. Oh, oh going into Kyle Field is going to be such a pain, blah, 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 blah. Oh, Florida, blah, blah. At the end of the day, Florida looks eh. They look average. Emory Jones is okay. He's decent. They're they're going to get trounced by Alabama this weekend, and then Texas A and M is is horrible as we've seen uh, uh, this past Saturday. So Alabama has nobody no nobody to worry about. Let me say this about Florida. Florida's a different team with Anthony Richardson in the game than they are with Emory Jones. And if Dan Mullen doesn't make that switch at quarterback, he's ridiculous. He's he's doing what he did with Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. He's letting his loyalty get in front of his talent evaluation because Anthony Richardson is a better player at quarterback than Emory Jones. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But honestly, when I think of Alabama and the rest of their schedule, regardless, even with Florida, whatever, I think the only team that can give them a game this year is going to be Ole Miss. And if this game was at Ole Miss, I would think it would be a lot closer than it's probably going to be. But obviously, it's kind of hard to judge Ole Miss when they've only played Louisville and Austin P. They haven't really played. They haven't gotten a test yet. Um, they're going to have some big games before they get to that Alabama game. But I think with the offense that Matt Corral and, and uh, Lane Kiffin have over there, they're the only ones that can even keep up with Alabama this year in the East or in the West. I'll talk a little bit about the Alabama game. It was Mercer. Who cares? It was. I went into. I was not even excited about watching the game. But Will Anderson got hurt, and Will Anderson has been compared to guys like Derek Thomas, who is one of the best outside linebackers, pass rushers of all time. Um, and so to hear that he's injured and may not be playing this weekend, it's kind of on the fence with that. 
that that brings a, a little bit of a red flag. And Christopher Allen's already out. For whatever reason, Alabama, it seems like every year, has injuries early on in the season to key defensive players. And obviously, they've got next man up, no big deal. They've got depth. They've got talent. Um, it, it still just kind of sucks. And I, I really was not – I was a little disappointed in the way that Alabama came out this week. Because normally, even against the Mercers of the world, Alabama comes out and they bring the juice and they blow them out right off the rip. Mercer hung around for longer than I was happy with, and I'm sure Saban was happy with. So it'll get fixed, but there's a lot of youth and inexperience on offense, and I think that that could be something that causes a little bit of a a hiccup in a game. If Florida turns into a game like the SEC Championship last year at the Swamp, that could be a problem. Yeah, the problem is I don't think it's really going to be that way because I don't think Florida has the same offense they had last year. Is their offense good? Yeah, Florida has a decent offense. They're not bad, but they're not the Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask, uh, Kadarius Tony offense that they had last year that would light everybody up. They're a run-first offense that can throw the ball here and there against bad teams that don't have any coverage. And Alabama's not going to be one of those teams. Alabama has guys that can play one-on-one against their receivers. Alabama has enough players to stop the run, even without Will Anderson playing a linebacker. I mean, it's, I don't think the matchup is there for Florida this year with Alabama or Georgia. I just don't think they are going to be able to keep up. I see Florida. I think Florida's still going to end up as like a top 15, top 10 team at, in, in the end. But I just don't think – I mean, their defense still isn't good. It's better, but it's still not good. And their offense took a major step back from last year. So even with Anthony, Anthony Richardson. So um, I don't see this being a game this weekend. Well, let's stay on this college football news. Clay Heldon got fired. Can you guys believe that? Now, I agree with firing him. However, why would you fire a guy week two? Why not fire? Why not get? Not, not, why not get rid of the guy before the season starts? Like not, not, now, you're put your your team, your program in a bad situation because now you got to have an interim head coach with a different message, and then you're gonna go find a new a new guy to come in here, and you're gonna have all this, you know, uh, talk about all. Oh, is Lane Kiffin going to come over here? You know, is uh, is Urban Meyer going to come to USC? That's a lot of strain to put on your program. I think that's that's a bad move by by USC. It's definitely an interesting move. Uh, I mean, I I'm with you. I I don't understand why they didn't do it last year, but at the same time, I think it makes their job at least for right now. They feel like if they're the first ones to make a move like this, they're going to get the best crop of candidates. Because people are going to start putting their name in the hat now versus if they put their name in the hat at the same time as everybody else that needs a coaching opening, they might miss out on the hire. I still think it's a little too early to do this. Clay Helton should have been gone two years ago, though, if we're being honest. Like they had talked about, they had talked about getting rid of him two years ago. They should have just done it then. They've known this whole time that he's not the guy. Last year, I think they gave a COVID pass because they weren't even wanting to play football. Kids could opt out. And then they decided this year they were going to get, you know, two weeks out of him. And they're like, okay, we're just going to go. We're not even going to drag this on. We're going to make the change. And we want to get the best crop of candidates that we can right now. I think the reason they got rid of him in week two is because I think they still think they have a chance to win the Pac-12 this year. They only have one loss on their resume. And even though Stanford is a bad team, they are not a good team this year. And they lost to him in a late night game. 
if they go 11-1 and and win the Pac-12, that gives them a chance to make the playoff potentially or make the Rose Bowl. Either way, I mean, that still ends up being a pretty decent season. To me, I think this is a move of them saying, we're worse with Clay Helton here. We're worse with him in the locker room. We're worse on the recruiting trail with Clay Helton here. Let's go ahead and dump them. Let's keep the recruits at bay. Um, introduce them to you know the new staff we're going to have. Try and get somebody, get a big name, or at least start like throwing rumors around that we're going to have a big name to these guys. Uh, I think it's more of a more of a looks thing than anything, but it's also a we still think we have the chance to compete if we have a different guy calling the plays, a different guy talking to the team before every single game. Um, that's probably that's what I think. I don't think they're going to get a they're going to hire anybody in the next five weeks or so. I don't either. I just think that they wanted to be that first team, first brand out there. If you want to want a job, here we are. For recruiting purposes, this guy should have been gone a long time ago. Matt, you're exactly right. Because think of the, the quarterbacks that he has let slip through his fingers that are from Southern California. Bryce Young, Alabama. C.J. Stroud is is from Southern California. Heck, J.T. Daniels was on that roster on that on that USC team with with Clay Helton as his as head coach. Now he got injured, and you know there's a lot of things going on there. But how do you not convince a guy that is is a good football player to stay with your program and to not go to the other side of the country and play for another team? That I think that says a lot. So I think it's a good move for USC. Just bad timing. Bad timing. Yeah, I think it's bad timing too. And Honestly, to me, I know, Matt, you're talking about them just kind of giving Helton a COVID year. I think the reason he didn't get fired last year was because there really weren't a lot of big name candidates to pick from. I mean, look at the look at the guys, that the bigger names that got hired last year. I mean, Auburn hired Brian Harson from Boise State, who I mean, they've done a he's done a great job for the first two games this year against, you know, whatever FCS programs. But you got him, and then you got Steve Sarkeesian, who they already had before, and they had their issues with him. They're not going to hire him again. So they, they just didn't have that name there. Of course, there were some guys being thrown around. Didn't really seem like anybody was ready to leave and jump ship, even for a big name like USC. I mean, look at Texas, and uh, and look at Auburn, too. I mean, it's the same deal. Um, I think it's the same thing for Michigan, too. I think that's why they kept Jim Harbaugh around this year. I think at the end of this offseason, if we see the same struggles from these big-name programs, we're going to see a lot of coaching changes. All right, so it's clear that Urban Meyer is just completely scrapping this year with Jacksonville. It, that, that, that's, that's, put, that's pretty cut and dry. Does he leave Jacksonville to go to USC? Not for USC, and I don't think that USC wants him. And I'll tell you why. The president of USC is a woman, and she has been pretty open about the fact that she did not like the way that Urban Meyer handled the Zach Smith situation. So Urban Meyer is not going to... Uh, USC. Now, here is if you want my honest opinion, I think Urban Meyer is gonna be at Notre Dame in the next year and a half, year or two years. I feel like I feel like Notre Dame is. I feel like Brian Kelly would make the leap to the NFL, and Urban Meyer would fit that job pretty well. I think that's a program that he would he would fall into for sure. If Urban Meyer goes to Notre Dame, I don't know what I'd do with myself. I would be. Words can't describe how upset I would be if he went to, to to Notre Dame. I can't stand Notre Dame. And for them, if they were able to to get – for that situation to happen, if that happens for Notre Dame, it, uh, sky's the limit because they, they get recruits because they're Notre Dame. They're, they're always decently good. This year, not so much. I don't think they're very good this year. 
But if they get a, a good coach in there, like Urban Meyer, man, who knows what could happen. See, I have two problems with that take, Matt. I think Urban Meyer, well, I think he's going to hang around at Jacksonville for at least three years. Even if he doesn't do well, and I don't think he will, mostly because as a guy coming up from the college ranks, I feel like you got to give him a little bit of time. Like you got to, obviously, you got to see some improvement. I mean, if he goes 0 and 7, 17 or 18, whatever the schedule is this year, this and, and looks awful, doesn't compete like he did this past week, then yeah, I could see him getting fired after this year, maybe midseason next year. But I think he's going to get at least three years. Obviously, there's a lot of rebuilding he's got to do with that team. And second, I know for a fact that Notre Dame has already said the reason they hired Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati to come be the defensive coordinator is within the next five years, Brian Kelly's planning on retiring. And this isn't like super public. It's just kind of a lot of rumors been thrown out. Um, and and uh, Brian Kelly's addressed it and pretty much just said this is what's gonna, this is what the plan is as of now. He's going to retire in the next five years, and Marcus Freeman is going to be the guy to take over for Notre Dame. And that's the reason he's already there, learning the program, you know, learning the systems they run and everything, learning the meeting all the boosters, and then he'll take over. Two things: if Urban Meyer stays in Jacksonville for three years, Trevor Lawrence will be a bust because Urban Meyer is not going to be the coach. That continues. To, that's going to make him the NFL superstar that he could be. Two, Urban Meyer's not going to stay in Jacksonville for three years because he hates losing, and he's not like Jimmy Johnson went one in fifteen his first year with the Dallas Cowboys, and that's what everyone keeps throwing out there is like guys that made the move from college to the pros. Urban Meyer ain't built like that. Nope. Urban Meyer ain't going one in fifteen nope. and sticking around, or one in sixteen this year and sticking around. Urban Meyer is a win, 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 win guy. He will resign from the Jacksonville Jaguars, wait for a good job to come open, a job like a Notre Dame. And if and you're telling me that if if Brian Kelly were to say, hey, I would like to try my hand at the NFL or retire, if Notre Dame had the option of Marcus Freeman or Urban Meyer, who is going to build that brand back to being the brand exactly. of college football? Exactly. Urban Meyer. I, I feel like it would be a perfect fit for Notre Dame. I would hate it because I don't but but that's been since Urban Meyer was hired, I have felt like this the whole time. Feels very much like a Steve Spurrier type of thing where Spurrier went to the NFL, went to the Redskins. I think he was only there for a year, maybe two. He wasn't there very long. Absolutely flopped, went to South Carolina and turned South Carolina into a perennial contender every year in the SEC East when they had never been anything. Yeah, Urban Meyer is trying to run the Jaguars like a like a college program, and you can't do that in, in the NFL because they just look lost on Sunday. They look lost. They look like they don't they don't know, they don't know what they're doing. And I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence. I really hope Urban Meyer uh, sees the writing on the wall and uh, packs up his bags and leaves Jacksonville. But uh, I think uh, Luke Fickle is going to take this USC job. That's that's the name that I thought too. Yeah, I've seen that one the most. I've also seen that Eric Bieniemy is coming out as. One of the top options, too, from the Kansas City Chiefs. The Adam Scheffler um, actually went on ESPN earlier today and was talking about how Eric Bieniemy's kind of throwing his name in the hat and wants to go wants to go coach for him. See, USC is an interesting thing, interesting program to me because they've got the history, they've got the tradition, they've won a lot, but they just, for whatever reason, in the past five years have not been able to recruit worth a crap. 
and I don't really understand why it's in Southern California. It's right there by L.A. I mean, it's 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 got all the all the things you could want if you're a superstar quarterback coming out of high school, going into college. You get all the media attention. You're always going to be ranked in the top 25 preseason just because you're USC. I don't understand what what the deal is with it, but honestly, like I've seen James Franklin's name thrown around there. I think that that would be a terrible move for him to go from Penn State to USC. I don't think that he would. I feel like he's got Penn State in a good direction. He's got some job security there. I think moving to USC, they want to win now. They've already made that very clear that they're tired of losing. They're wanting to make a splash higher and rebound a program that's been in the dumps. And I think James Franklin uh, should stay at Penn State if if they offer him that job. And I just don't – Luke Fickle, I feel like you have to hire that up-and-comer. Luke Fickle's been a guy who's stayed at Cincinnati longer than most people would have suspected. I feel like his name was in a lot of those jobs last year. And I, I just – I feel like Luke Fickle would be a great hire for USC. I think – I think I have an answer to why USC isn't what they used to be. We have to give Chip Kelly a lot of credit for what he did at Oregon. Because Oregon did a lot of things with what are kids wanting to go you know, to go to a school for now? Uniforms, the nice facilities, and all this other stuff. You, When was the last time we've seen USC have an alternate uniform? Never. Ever, 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 ever. You know, they don't have anything cool like that. They don't have, they don't have any cool facilities like... The only thing that USC can bring to the table is is the factor that they're that that they're in Southern California, Los Angeles, and all this other stuff. But in terms of what else can you do for me, Oregon can give you all these types of things: Nike, all the Nike apparel, all these other things that 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 you can do for for a kid. So I think the next coach for USC really needs to kind of do what Chip Kelly did for Oregon and bring some more cool things in that that kids want to want to come to your school for. Yeah, actually, Lando, that's a really good point. Um, and now that, that I think about it, too, especially being in L.A., I feel like you want to have a younger guy that's going to bring around like the, the L.A. superstars, the Hollywood guys, kind of like Miami used to do back in the day when they were winning national championships. They were always running around with the stars that lived in Miami, hanging out with the big wigs. Um, I, that's why I think Luke Fickle would not do a great job there because Luke Fickle is very – you know, quiet, goes about his business, just gets things done. Um, and uh, and USC, they like that kind of stuff, but they keep having guys like that, like Clay Helton, and it's just not really working out. Um, Matt, I know you were talking about James Franklin. I actually think that would be a great move for him, and mostly because in the Pac-12, he wouldn't have to compete with Ohio State every single year. That's the difference between coaching at Penn State and USC. Penn State... Your recruiting battles are in the Big Ten. You're recruiting against Ohio State, who is number one, number two, number three every single year in recruiting. The talent is a completely different level, no matter how good your team is. Um, in the Pac-12, you're competing against Oregon. And yeah, Oregon's recruited well for the past couple of years, but they're in, I don't think they'll ever be on the same level as in Ohio State and Alabama, Georgia, and LSU, and Oklahoma when it comes to recruiting on a every-year basis kind of deal. Because uh, obviously you've seen before Criswell got there, Oregon had a couple bad years after they went to the national championship and got beat by Ohio State. So bringing James Franklin over, the way he can recruit, being at that program and that big name like that, that honestly could be a great move for him. I mean, I could see it. I just, I don't know. I feel like USC, USC is a a place that I feel like uh, dreams go to die. 
Like, Steve Sarkeesian was doing really, really well at Washington. He made the move from Washington, went down to USC, went in the tank. Because Steve Sarkeesian's really the guy that got Washington to the point where Chris Peterson could come in and take him to the playoff. Uh, so, And then he goes to USC after Lane Kiffin was there. And Lane Kiffin, who I think was a little more immature, probably not the coach that he is now, uh, having been behind Nick Saban and went through the whole rehab clinic, uh, but Lane Kiffin could do nothing there. Uh, and, and it's just been an ongoing cycle of mediocrity for USC really ever since the, the, uh, NCAA infractions that came out whenever Pete Carroll left. And the, I, I, because Oregon has gotten better because Washington's been relevant, Mike Leach was winning a lot of games at Washington state. Like they made the PAC 12 more competitive. And with Chip Kelly winning games like he is at UCLA right now, I don't know that you would be able to pull all the kids from California from Chip Kelly right now because he's got a lot of momentum behind that program. So I, I feel like if you're if, if you wanted if you gave me the option of right now like stay where I know that I'm going to win ten games a year and be the second maybe potentially if I beat Ohio State once every four years people are going to love me great college football atmosphere uh, win ten games a year everybody's happy or go to USC and try to revive it, I'm staying right where I'm at. And then whenever they let me go, if if I if Penn State does decide that I'm not what they want anymore, I still know that I've got I can get a job somewhere because I'm a top ten commodity in the country whenever I'm available. If I am a recruit in Southern California and the two biggest schools that were looking at me were UCLA or USC, I'm choosing UCLA because of what Chip Kelly is doing down there. So the next head coach of USC is going to have to figure out how to compete with that. And that's a huge, huge stepping stone. Because we've talked about Oregon winning a lot. And I think that them and UCLA, that's going to be a battle out there in the Pac-12 this year for the championship. I think those are both really good teams. And it's going to be an exciting game if those two teams meet up. And I believe they could meet up in the Pac-12 championship, correct? Yeah, I think so. Yep. So... UCLA, undefeated UCLA, undefeated Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Oh. That could be really exciting. Oh, that would oh, be, be awesome. Oh, that would be awesome. All right, guys. Let's go ahead and move on to our mailbag. We got a ton of questions this week. Um, our first one is from DL Fowler 4 His question is, can Georgia make the national championship this year? Sure. If they figure out how to throw the football down the field, sure. Yeah, I think that they can. I mean – Everything that I've seen from Georgia this year is, uh, is, I mean, it was just two games and not a lot, but they are as advertised. I think the offense has looked really, really good. Obviously, it was UAB, but UAB is one of the better defensive FCS or uh, lower group of five schools. Uh, UAB is not a bad defensive school. I know it's a G5 school still at the end of the day. Georgia could absolutely make the national championship this year. Um, the hurdle is going to be, can they beat Alabama? And I think that that could be a knockdown drag out brawl between those two schools. Georgia stays healthy. They absolutely have a shot to make it to the national championship. See, I think the hurdle actually is going to be, can Georgia run through the regular season without taking a loss? Cause I think the way that Alabama has looked so far, or at least to me there, I don't think they're a beatable team this early on, even in the sec championship. It's going to be a tough game. Bama just doesn't really lose in Atlanta either. Um, People have had a tough time beating them. I don't think I've ever seen them lose in Atlanta, at least since 2008 when they lost to Florida. I think what Georgia needs to do to make the national championship, Georgia's got to win out in the regular season, take the loss to Bama, look competitive, and hope that everybody else has lost enough 
to where they would throw a one-loss conference loser or conference runner-up in Georgia, throw them into the playoff. Obviously, they probably don't want to see Georgia-Bama part two right away again. So they would split the teams up, uh, maybe make Georgia three seed or whatever, have Bama the one seed, and then maybe if Georgia can knock off an Oregon, Ohio State, Clemson, whoever, UCLA maybe. And uh, then I think they can make the national championship and get another shot at Bama. If Georgia gets two shots at Bama this year, I think there's a chance that they can beat them. I just don't see Georgia beating Bama in the SEC championship just through these first two weeks with how the teams have looked. I also think that Georgia has the disadvantage of strength of schedule. If it were to come down to a one-loss Georgia in the regular season versus somebody else, because – I think Arkansas now being ranked adds them there. They've got like three ranked opponents on their schedule outside of Clemson. And that's if Arkansas is who they were this past weekend continually. That'd be Arkansas, Florida, and Auburn left on the schedule. And we don't know what we're going to get out of Auburn or Florida the rest of the year either. So I think it depends on what those teams shape out for Georgia's schedule. Yeah, I think Georgia has potential of having four ranked teams uh, by the end of the year. Because I think Kentucky, the way that Kentucky's looked the past few weeks to me, I think they've been pretty good too. So I could see them ending up as like a top 25 at best kind of team. Um, and then if Auburn and, and uh, Arkansas and Florida could all hold on too, um, that should help. Georgia's strength of schedule for sure. Let me ask you this, Whit, I have, because I don't think we have much more Georgia on the, the schedule for today, so I'll let you get it out now. Do you think that Stetson Bennett made a big enough push to inside a quarterback no. race? Oh, my God. No. No, the big no. This is what he made a big enough push to incite a quarterback controversy as the backup, but because Carson Beck was the backup going to that game, the only reason they started Stetson Bennett is because Kirby actually thought UAB had a chance of giving us a scare, which honestly is not that's not a bad way to think either because UAB has been really good. I mean they're I mean they're not you know they're not a playoff team, but they've been a really good Group of Five team in the Conference USA since they've come back from having the football team taken away. So I, I think that's why he played Stetson and Stetson looked good, but let's, let's not, let's not overreact to it. I'm not overreacting to it. I know a lot of Georgia fans are his, for the receivers he hit and granted he hit them. He didn't overthrow them. He didn't underthrow them. He didn't throw any picks. The receivers he hit were wide open. Todd Munkin schemed those guys so far open. It was brutal. So I'm, I'm not, you know, the numbers looked really good. Stetson played well. I mean, he, he had a really good game, but um, no, this is he's not a playoff national championship winning quarterback. Yeah, let's not forget last year. I swear Georgia fans do this every year with quarterbacks. God, every year. Oh, this guy threw, threw for 500 yards and six touchdowns. Oh, we got to play this guy over, over this guy who's clearly going to win a starting job. Come on, come on. Listen, Georgia fans are not, are not doing that. The, people are freaking out about it, and they're like, oh, Stetson's a beast. Oh, mailman, oh, let's go. And I am too. Like, I mean, awesome. Let me but, rephrase it then. But if, if if something happens to JT, do you think they're in good hands? Yes, I do. I, I do. With with Stetson or Carson Beck. I think Carson Beck's a good quarterback too. I think he just needs more playing time under his belt. I mean, the dude, like, I mean, he really didn't play a lot. But when he did, he, he showed off that arm talent. You could tell there's a lot he's got to figure out with the game. But, I mean, he's only played in – that's his second game I think he's ever gotten in, thrown into. So I'm I'm big into him. I I know a lot of uh, Georgia podcasts that I listen to are big into him as well, um, including Aaron Murray's. Aaron Murray thinks he's going to be one of the best court, Georgia quarterbacks of all time once he gets the chance to start. Um, so and I'm pretty high on him too. But is he ever going to get the chance to start? 
I actually think – okay, we're getting way off topic, but I actually think as of now, I think he is going to end up beating out Brock Vandegrift next year. I think Brock's going to end up transferring. I think uh, we'll have Carson Beck for the for like a year or two, and then we'll but you, have Gunner. Gunner comes in next year, doesn't he? He's a senior yep. this year. So you'll yep. have Gunner and Carson Beck battling out for QB1 along with Brock Vandegrift. I, th- I think it'll be those three battling out for QB1 next year. I think Carson Beck's going to end up winning that job. It's going to be Carson or Brock, I think. I don't think Gunner's going to win it as a freshman. Ooh. And, uh, and I think he's good enough, too, but I don't think he will. Kirby doesn't like to play freshman unless there's an injury, um, as you saw with Justin Fields and Jake Fromm. <laughs> but I think Carson's going to win it. I think Brock's going to end up transferring probably to Auburn. He's probably going to win a national championship there. <laughs> please, God, no. <laughs> no, God, and, please, no. Or, or, or Alabama. And, okay, um, that, I, that, that one's fine, but I think not, I, not Auburn. Or, or, or Oklahoma. Most likely Oklahoma, I guess. Because he, he was in Oklahoma before anyway, before he flipped commitments. But um, I think it'll be Carson Beck next year. And if JT Daniels gets hurt or gets hurt again, potentially this year too. And then um, I think maybe you know, maybe another year with Carson Beck, whatever. He might go to the draft if he's that good. And then Gunner takes over for him. Either that or Gunner beats him out the next year. Because I think Gunner Stockton is going to be really, really, really good. That's who I'm most excited about. I'm very high on Gunner Stockton. Next but anyway, let's move, let's move on from Georgia. Let's get into a real playoff contender. This one's from <laughs> at Mr. Tank Handsome, uh, our, our favorite Rutgers fan in the whole entire world. And his question is, if Rutgers finishes 3-0 and and out-of-conference games, do you see them going bowling? This is a great question, and I'm going to give you like a legit answer for this. So Rutgers plays Delaware on Saturday, so I'm going to give that a win. So that's 3-0. That's, that's what he's talking about. And the next wins I see on their schedule could possibly be Michigan State, Illinois, Indiana, or Maryland. Those are the next like legit chances they have of winning. So if they can win three of those games, then then heck yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. So I'm gonna say they beat Maryland, they beat Indiana, and they beat Illinois. Uh it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I I, I feel like Illinois could be. Uh, I don't know. I know they've gotten smoked by. They lost to UTSA and then they lost to Virginia. Rutgers could Rutgers should win that game. Right, Maryland is. Maryland could be all right. Five and zero, oh. and then and I'll then, go on. The, I'll go on the record and say Rutgers is going to win a game they shouldn't win this year, and that will go bowling. Absolutely, I absolutely think they can go bowling if they go three and zero. Oh, I think they're going to end up as a five or six win team. I don't think it's going to be more than that, but I think six. I would bet money on six over five. Yeah. I think Michigan State's a good team. They're going to have a tough time with them. I don't think Northwestern's that good. Um, I mean, they play at Northwestern. That'll be tough. I think they can win that game. I think they can beat – I think they'll absolutely beat Illinois. And then if that happens, they either have to take one from at Indiana or against Maryland last game of the season. I think they'll absolutely win one of those two games. So, I got – yeah, I got them. I got them winning six games. Six and six is very doable yeah, for Rutgers. Six and six. Which for me, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. Because a couple of years ago, I was picking Rutgers to not win a single game in the entire conference. So if if, if they win three games this year in, in that conference, and the Big Ten is actually pretty good this year too. This is not the Big Ten of last year where every team was atrocious and Ohio State just ran through them. It's so I I could see I could see them going bowling. 
And uh, on to the next question. This one is from our good buddy at Chad S underscore five two nine. Um, and his first of two questions is Willie Taggart did not get a third year with the Knolls. Will Mike Norvell. I will say the way the rumblings are going right now. Ooh, I don't know if he will get a third year. It's now, of course, last year was COVID year, but that being said, it is not looking good. How do you lose to Jacksonville state? Come on. You're Florida state. How do you, how do you lose to a team like that? So, if this season keeps going the way it is right now, he ain't getting a third year. I also think there's another guy out there that has proven that he can coach college football a little bit. That's a Florida State alum. Oh, no. That has started some rumblings. And I think that Deion Sanders, if 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 they talk to him and they, he says he's available, I think they'll go for him. I think they would go for him. And, and, and look, y'all, you can call me crazy. The dude has Jackson State 55th in recruiting with a seven like a $55,000 recruiting budget. He's beating Northwestern that has a $22 million football budget. Deion Sanders is a name that would bring a lot of buzz to Florida State and I don't necessarily think he'd be the best coach, but he could be. I mean, he's winning games at Jackson State. Yeah, but I'm going to say one thing about Deion Sanders. I think I think he's enjoying what he's doing with with HBCUs, and I think he's enjoying what he's doing at at, at that level of football. Like there, there are a lot of things there that that you can teach just about being a, a man on a different level that that you you can't really get to at a bigger college like that. I think he's really enjoying what he's doing at at at, at Jackson State. Yeah, I was about to say I don't think that Florida State's his style. But that's but that's why I said they're gonna if if they make the, if Florida State makes a call to him and he says yeah I'd be interested then I could see Mike Norvell not getting a third year if Deion Sanders says that he's interested or he's not interested he wants to stay at Jackson State do what he's doing then they're gonna the Norvell is gonna get the third year I feel like they have to at this point I think Norvell is at least gonna get the Clay Helton treatment where. If they suck this year, they keep they're not good. Don't make a bowl game or go six and six or don't even, don't win eight games. I think I could see him going into next year and then maybe getting like at least two or three weeks to see if he can improve the team and then getting getting the getting kicked out. But with the whole Deion Sanders thing, I think Lando's completely right. I think he's trying to start a movement with the HBCUs, try and get more recognition with everybody. Um, it's the same with Eddie George too. Now that he's jumped on, I think he's going to get some more guys to jump on by the end of this year. And by the end of next year, I could see Deion Sanders making that jump eventually. Like, but I would say give it like four years, four or five years first. I think he wants to do something crazy with the HBCU first. And then I could see him being like, you know what? I want to try my career at FBS level D one, um, Florida State's my alma mater. You know, I, I loved it. My time there, I did some big things there. Let's see if I can get him back to being that perennial program. Assuming he keeps doing well at Jackson State. You know, I, um, I, I, I hate to cut you off with, but I'm not going to lie. I don't think, I still don't think, given the chance, he would do it. Because that would fit a lot of the stigma about HBCUs. And I, and one thing I think he, Deion Sanders is trying to prove is that I can, you can be a great college coach at, a, at an HBCU and, and you don't have to go to a big-time program to be considered a great college coach. And, you know, a lot of coaches would do that. They'll they'll go to those HBCUs and then once they get recognized as a great coach, they'll go and jump to that that big time job and then leave 
the other program in shambles. I don't think he wants to do that. And for Chad's second question, he's got, are we turning the jukebox up on Arkansas after this weekend? Arkansas is a good football team. They're well coached. I think they are going to be a lot better than what people think. I also think Texas is not what we are hyping them up to be. We have to give Texas a little bit of time, at least at least until half of the season, until we can even consider them to be a top 25 team. So I think Arkansas is going to be good, but let's pump the brakes. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumping the brakes on Arkansas a little bit. They've got a stretch of games. They play Georgia Southern this weekend. Then they play A&M, which I don't think A&M is the number seven team in the country after two games. But nonetheless, they play A&M at Georgia, at Ole Miss, home against Auburn. So they've got four ranked opponents in a row. You win those four games in a row or three out of those four games, you're you're for real. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia. I don't think they're going to beat Ole Miss. We'll see if they. We'll see what Auburn really is this week. Maybe they beat Auburn. Uh, they're not beating Georgia. They're, they should beat A and M. I think if 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 A and M is the team I saw the first two weeks, and Arkansas is the team I've seen the first two weeks, they'll beat A and M. Uh, it's a home game. It's three thirty. That'll be a, a huge crowd. Uh, and then outside of that, they play Al- at Alabama November twentieth. They're not winning that game, I, I don't think. They may beat LSU. I don't think LSU is very good this year either. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I think Arkansas is a solid middle of the road SEC program. That if you don't show up with your A game, they could beat you. But I don't, I don't think that they're a top fifteen program. Yep, I completely agree. Uh, I think they're a top twenty five program right now i think they are going to end up in the top 25 but i see three losses for arkansas just off the jump i think georgia and alabama 100 percent um and then i think ole miss is going to be tough um i don't know though man they they always play ole miss tough i think they're for sure going to be a&m and it's not because i think a&m's a bad team but that rivalry game arkansas is always close to beating them or upsets them or does something crazy um, when they go and play in, in Dallas, I think this is going to be one of those years they're going to knock them off. LSU, I think this is going to be a year they knock LSU off. Obviously, that's a big rival for them, even though it's not the last game of the season for them anymore. But Ole Miss, Bama, Georgia, I don't see them winning those games. Um, and if not Ole Miss, it's going to be Auburn or LSU. So turning them up as a top 25 team, yes. Turning them up as a potentially knocking off Alabama or potentially winning the SEC, not no not yet now could they get the program to that culture that way eventually maybe i mean sam Pittman's a good coach he's a big culture guy um i'm not buying it but either way moving on to our next two questions these two um these are guys that are asking questions for the first time the questions are really similar so i'm just going to read them off real quick uh before we get into the discussion the first one is from at jmed2855, his question is, does UCLA have a chance of making the playoff this year? And at Connor underscore Innsman, and he asks, does the Pac-12 get a playoff team this year? I thought those were pretty similar, so we could just talk about it. Yeah, and they're, they're both really good questions. I think the Pac-12 has a huge chance of getting a team in the playoff this year, and that's Oregon. Uh, does UCLA have a chance of making the playoff? I'm going to say no right now. I haven't seen enough from them 
uh, this year or just just kind of recently. They're just now kind of starting to get to that Chip Kelly level, but they aren't elite yet. So I'm going to give UCLA till next year to to really see if if they can be a playoff team. So not this year for UCLA, but I think the Pac-12 does have a strong chance of getting a team into the playoff. So I I went and looked at UCLA schedule. I uh I, I we we won't have an undefeated UCLA Oregon game because they play each other in the regular season. Uh so if UCLA wins from now until then and they beat Oregon and Oregon's undefeated when they meet up October 23rd, UCLA absolutely could have the resume to go on to the playoff. If they win, they go undefeated, win out. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're that team yet. Uh, I think Oregon's better than them overall. By that point, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau will be back uh, for Oregon. The defense will be rolling. Mario Cristobal is probably still working out some kinks with that. Uh, so I don't see UCLA being quite ready to make that leap. But I do think this is a year of Pac- the Pac-12 will make it back to the playoff because there is more parity in college football this year than there has been in the past few years outside of Alabama and Georgia being really good. Oklahoma looked a lot better in week two. It was Western Carolina. We'll see if that really shakes out to be the, the true Oklahoma. Uh, if they, if they hit their stride now, um, but outside of that, that fourth spot is really wide open, especially with Ohio state losing Oregon's got that spot right now, but tons of room there. I think the PAC 12 makes it back. UCLA 100% has a chance to make the playoff, just as every team does. If you go undefeated and you're in a Power 5 conference, you are going to make the playoff. It doesn't matter what your schedule is. If LSU loses every single game on their schedule, that's still going to look like a good win for UCLA, even though it was at home. UCLA has a good chance to make the playoff. I'm not picking them as a playoff team this year. I think they're good. Um, I think they've been playing really, really well, but I think they're a year or two away from being that. I agree with Lando. I think they're a year or two away from being that top perennial team. I think they need a couple more of those five-star, four-star guys out of um, the Southern California area um, that UC, that USC is still getting right now. And with Clay Helton gone, that might kind of open that recruiting path up for them uh, during this season, um, especially playing in the Rose Bowl and everything. That should be easy recruiting right there. Um, does the Pac-12 get a playoff team this year? If they do, it's going to be Oregon. And if I'm Oregon, I'm cheering for Ohio State in every single game for the rest of this season. Because if Oregon goes undefeated or even loses one game and it comes down to Ohio State and Oregon, and I think if Oregon's going to get in, it's going to have to come down to that. Either that or Ohio State's going to have to be kicked out altogether. And same with Notre Dame, who is still undefeated at this point right now, too. Um, even though they haven't looked great either. If it comes down to Oregon, Pac-12 champion with one loss or undefeated, and Ohio State, no matter how good they look with one loss, it's going to go to Oregon. They, As much as they're going to want to take Ohio State, I do not think they will take Ohio State over Oregon after Oregon went into Columbus and beat them. Even though it was a close game, even though I think Ohio State had plenty of chances to win that game, even with the way they played, even with the defense. I I just don't see a way they ignore the head-to-head, even if it is in week two. Um, So I think Oregon does have a very good shot at making the playoff this year. 
But and then moving on to our last question, um, this one actually was my favorite question. I thought it was very well thought out. This one's from at Ethan Hellman seventy nine, and his question is: With the way things are going, do we see a big shakeup in the college football playoff? Potentially two or more first time teams. Maybe, maybe one, maybe one first time team in the playoff. Two, I think, is going to be a stretch. But maybe one. If Cincinnati goes out there and, and looks really good, wins all their games, and blows blows teams out, they for sure have a chance at, at making their first college football playoff. But two teams, I think, is a stretch. Yeah, two first-timers is going to be tough because, you know, we mentioned Oregon. Oregon's been there before, so they're not a first-time. Outside of that, you would have to have, like, a UCLA uh, that, w- that made a run. Georgia's been there before, so you're going to have to get somebody outside of Georgia. Cincinnati would be one, and I mean, outside of that, A&M hasn't shown me anything, any sort of playoff potential this year, at least up to this point. Uh, And like I just said, I mean, there's more parity this year in college football than I feel like I've seen in a really long time. Um, Obviously, Alabama looks great, but, you know, got to go out there and play the games, and, and we'll see how it shakes out, but I don't see more than one first time team getting in this year see this is kind of tricky because even though georgia and oregon have only been in it once they've still made it before i think there's a good chance one of those team teams make it so that to me kind of throws out the possibility of having two first time teams because we're going to get alabama and i think we're going to get at least one more of clemson ohio state and oklahoma i think oklahoma I would find it – I'd be very, very surprised if they lost more than one game this year uh, with the way the Big 12 has looked for me. So throw them in there. I think when it comes down to Cincinnati or Penn State, I think we have a great chance. I actually think Penn State has a really, really good chance of knocking off Ohio State, going to the Big Ten Championship, taking out – Wisconsin or Iowa and making the playoff. I think they have a really good shot of being that one new team. I think Cincinnati's got a good shot too with the way Notre Dame and North Carolina have looked and Indiana too. I mean, they have Indiana this weekend. Those are supposed to be their big three games. My only problem for Cincinnati is if those teams don't end up as top 15 teams, I think they're kind of going to get overlooked by the committee when it comes down to college football playoff ranking time. Um, But I, I do think we will get at least one first-time team, and then I think we're going to get either a Georgia or an Oregon in there, too. I think I think the, the thing with Cincinnati, if they were to beat Notre Dame, saying out loud, University of Cincinnati beat Notre Dame in a game of American collegiate tackle football just doesn't sound right, and people, like old heads, are going to be like, oh, wow, they beat Notre Dame. And so I think that that game is going to get more weight carried onto it, regardless of how Notre Dame is this year. I think it's going to get more weight added onto it than probably should be. I agree if Notre Dame ends up as a nine and three at worst team. But with the way Notre Dame's looked the first two weeks, especially after Florida State lost to Jacksonville State this week, I could see Notre Dame being a five loss team. I could see them being a five I don't think they're gonna lose more than five games. I think that's very, very worst case scenario. I think eight and four or nine and three is probably more realistic. But I would not be surprised if they did lose five games. And they got some tough games on that schedule this year. Um, and so if Cincinnati knocks them off and then they lose four other games, the committee's not going to be like, oh, wow, Cincinnati knocked off Notre Dame. That's huge. They're going to be like, oh, it's a seven and five team, even though it is Notre Dame. 
And, you know, seven to five Notre Dame is probably top 25, of course, with the committee. But still, I mean, that's not a – when you're Cincinnati, you have to have a top 15 win to solidify yourself as a playoff team with all these power five teams in there. They would need mass chaos for them to make it. But moving on from the mailbag, we're getting to our pour one out, cut them off segment. Lando, who you pouring one out for? This week, I am pouring one out for Daniel Ricardo, who won uh, the Italian Grand Prix on Sunday. Uh, the two championship leaders, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, took each other out out of the race going into the turn one chicane. And that allowed uh, Daniel Ricardo to keep the lead and win the race. His first win in, I think, about uh, two years. So good for him. Good for you, Daniel Ricardo. I'm pouring, pouring one out for you. And I am cutting off my fantasy team because I drafted two really good players, Debo Samuel and Devontae Smith. Debo Samuel got 33 points, if I'm not mistaken, and Devontae Smith got 19 points. And they were on my bench, and I didn't play them. And they were the sole reason why I lost. I decided to have uh, Odell Beckham Jr. in as my flex, and the dude didn't even play. got me zero points. So I am cutting off my fantasy team and, honestly, fantasy football in general because... When you see somebody on your bench that's scoring all these points, you put them in one week, and then they end up scoring a total of six points combined. So cutting off fantasy. Matt. So I am pouring one out for NFL Red Zone. Uh, it's back this week, this past weekend. Uh, I, I, We didn't even get a chance to talk about the NFL slate this past weekend, which week one was awesome. Always good to have the NFL back. Um NFL Red Zone is probably the greatest invention that has ever been made. Every touchdown from every game, seven hours, commercial-free football, there needs to be some form of this for college football. It would be incredible. They would be bouncing around all over, not necessarily every touchdown from every game, but like every Power 5 game or something like that. It would be awesome. It's a lot easier to do 32 teams than 127. So, uh... Obviously, love the NFL Red Zone. It was awesome to watch it this week. I am cutting off the Week 2 slate of games for college football. Uh, We talked about all three that were worth talking about, really, uh, which was, really, there was only two, and that was the Ohio State-Oregon game and the Arkansas-Texas game. Outside of that... Iowa-Iowa State. Oh, Iowa. We didn't even talk about Iowa-Iowa State. Iowa looked great on defense. Iowa State did not look good. Brock Purdy and Brees Hall... Looked awful. Uh, there's your quick summary. Uh, Iowa looks for real on defense. I don't know that their offense is going to take them very far. Uh, there's my quick analysis of, of that. But overall, this weekend's slate of games was terrible. You had so many SEC opponents playing FCS opponents, Alabama included, playing Mercer. Ole Miss played Austin P. Georgia played UAB, which is uh, a group of five school. There was just nothing to get excited about for week two as far as games go. So I'm cutting off week two. I feel like last year when a, with a 10-game SEC schedule, like every week was like, oh, this is a great week. This is an awesome week. This is an awesome week. And then now we have these FCS schools that keep popping up. Uh, Auburn played Alabama State. I mean, the, the game slate was just terrible overall. I'm cutting off the week two game slate. I'm ready to see better football with. Matt, I am right there with you, man. I'm ready for this week three slate this weekend. But before that, I'm pouring one out for Iowa's defense for the way they've looked for the first two weeks. They've played two top 15 teams at the time they played them. Um, Iowa State was number nine. It's the first time ever that this rivalry was a top 10 matchup. This is the um, this is the biggest game 
they've ever had. It was at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. College game day was there. And Iowa's defense destroyed Iowa State's offense. They could not move the ball at all. Iowa's defense has six interceptions in the first two games against guys who were top 10 quarterbacks from the experts going into this year. And Michael Penix and Brock Purdy, they've looked awesome. If Iowa's offense can pick it up a little bit and can start scoring some more points and not have the defense have to get them in good field position for them to put up anything, then this Iowa team is going to be real scary this year, especially with Ohio State looking the way they do in the Big Ten. And this week, I'm cutting off non-Alabama playoff favorites. And when I say playoff favorites, I mean Clemson and I mean Ohio State. In the first two weeks of the season, two of the biggest names in college football and two of the most likely teams to make the college football playoff, who everyone's got them penciled down every single year, who they think they're going to run through their conference, because everyone thinks their conferences are overrated. Both of them have a loss already. Clemson lost to Georgia. Ohio State lost to Oregon. Obviously, these were big games. These aren't just cupcake games to go through. This is the first time I've ever been a part of a college football season and seen something like this happen. It opens up all kinds of doors for parity in the world of college football. After everybody this offseason is complaining about not having enough teams, it's not fair, these teams that recruit better and have a lot of money are just blowing by everybody else. Well, guess what? The two of those teams already have a loss. One more loss for both of those teams, and they're both out. We got Alabama, we got we got Oklahoma, or the two penciled in favorites, and then you got two other teams that you rarely see. So it's it's exciting to see, but uh, definitely cutting off Clemson and Ohio State. Keys, you pouring one out for? So I'm pouring one out for Presbyterian College and Coach Kevin Kelly. This is something I read up on this week and I kind of discovered that Kevin Kelly was a pretty legendary coach in Arkansas and he had all sorts of like win records and coaching records. But the most interesting thing about his coaching style is he never punts. He only kicks onside kicks and he always goes for two. The Presbyterian won their first game 84 to 43, which the defense was kind of weird on that one. Uh, second game, they won 68 to three and they're outscoring opponents this season by 106. So, it's kind of interesting. It's obviously not a very conventional play style. It wouldn't really work in a higher league, but uh, it's kind of it's kind of cool that that's kind of working for him in in the league that he's in. So that'd be really cool to kind of keep watching that and see if they can keep this up all year. They actually would make a run. Uh, and I'm cutting off Aaron Rodgers for just playing like trash. His attitude was trash. It's very clear that he wants to be out of Green Bay. Uh, his passer rating was a 32.8. And if he had just thrown every pass that day into the dirt, he would have had a higher passing rating at 39.6. That's pretty bad. So I'm cutting off Aaron Rodgers. Jumping into our locks of the week. Lando, who's your lock this week? My lock is going to be Oregon over Stony Brook. I think that explains everything. Matt. <laughs> I'm going 12.30 a.m. Sunday night. Sunday, well, Sunday morning. Oh, my God. Kickoff, San Jose State over Hawaii. I think Hawaii is going to cover, but come on, you got to love almost one in the morning East Coast football. I am here for it. But you won't be awake for it. Oh, I will be awake for the kickoff. I will fall asleep about midway through. I will wake up on the couch and halfway through the fourth quarter, watch the rest of the game if it's compelling. It's it's Hawaii football. We know that I'm a Hawaii football guy. Go Rainbow Warriors. <laughs> but I'm picking against you this week. I will not be up to watch your lock of the week. No way, 
in the world. I was I stayed up till two a.m. last weekend, and it will not happen again this weekend. My Sunday was very short lived. I think I slept pretty much all day. So of course it was my first week back uh, from you know being out with the sickness. But anyway, I got two locks of the week this week. This one, um, this week I'm I'm throwing some locks for the gambling fans. Uh, my first pick is Memphis plus two and a half at Mississippi State. I think Memphis is a better team than Mississippi State this year. Mississippi State does not look good to me. I know they got a big win against NC State last year. I don't think NC State's good. I never think NC State's good. And uh, Miss State, not really feeling them. Not feeling Mike Leach. I don't think he's going to be the guy there to do much. Um, Memphis has looked really good to me this year. They put up a lot of points. They got this freshman quarterback that came in, and uh, he's looking really great. I think they are going to win that game, and I don't think it's going to be that close either. I think it's going to be at least a 10-point game. So take Memphis with the points. And Georgia, minus 31.5 versus South Carolina. Last week, I did not take Georgia to beat UAB with the points. I think it was a minus 24.5 spread. I wasn't feeling it, especially with JT Daniels not starting. This week, I don't think South Carolina is going to score enough to keep Georgia away from from getting that spread. I don't think South Carolina's offense is going to score at all. I think they're going to have to get some kind of fumble recovery for a touchdown or some third-string quarterback comes in, like last week, Carson Beck, and throws a little throws a pick six because the running back's not looking at the ball. Um, but I think I think Georgia's going to cover that spread easy. I think this game is going to be an absolute beatdown. Throw your money down. The, the, uh, the payback is actually pretty solid for this game too. So Georgia minus 31.5. Keys, who's your lock? So I'm contending with my poor one out. Uh, Presbyterian versus Campbell is my lock of the week. And any other circumstance, this would sound crazy, but I'm taking Presbyterian by 50. Well, Keys, I will not be watching that game either. I hate to say <laughs> And we're going to be moving on to our picks of the week. It's week three, and we're starting with one of my favorite games of the week. I've been excited about this game since I heard that it was going to happen when we were at Georgia Southern. It's Georgia Southern heading into Fayetteville. Arkansas is ranked 20 after the win over Texas. They're a 23.5-point favorite. Lando, who are you picking? <sighs> Will I ever learn my lesson? No. Georgia Southern is going to win this game in a 1920s-type football game. It's going to be Georgia Southern 2, Arkansas 1. Matt. Yeah, so I picked FAU last week in the Georgia Southern pick. I just don't think that Georgia Southern has the guys to even be competitive in this game. And it pains me to say it as a graduate of Georgia Southern, but I've seen what happens when they played LSU and Auburn. Hanging on to that Florida win, though, baby. Eeks by 90. But really, Hogs win this one pretty easily. Maybe, maybe, maybe emotional home win and... And they, they, they're no, I can't even talk myself into it. Hogs. Nah, I feel this one, this is going to be a beat down. Arkansas coming off an emotional win against Texas. They're home again. Minus 23 and a half is an absolute steal. I'm taking Arkansas with the, giving them the points away. I don't care. Georgia Southern has looked abysmal to start this year. I really hope Lunsford can turn it around. We've had a lot of issues at the quarterback position that I think once we get Tomlin back sometime through the season, I think it'll look a little bit better, but we're still just not looking good. So, and honestly, I think this could be 
a big game for the SEC in general because Georgia Southern likes to do this thing where their biggest at a conference, I think it's two of the last three years, not counting last year because uh, Georgia Southern didn't get to play any of the bigger Power Five schools. But the two years before that, you had we had Clemson in 2018. They beat the crap out of us. They won the national championship. And then we had LSU in 2019. They beat the crap out of us. They won the national championship. I'm not saying Arkansas is going to win the national championship or anything, but keep your eyes open. This could be a little magic, black magic going on for the Hogs. Maybe we see some crazy things happen this year. Anyway, I got Arkansas giving away the points to 23 and a half. I think they're going to cover that pretty easily. Next game. Uh, this is an old Big 12 game. These two, these used to be the two biggest programs in the Big 12. Now, obviously, Nebraska's a Big 10 team. But we got Nebraska heading in to Norman, Oklahoma, to take on number three, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a 22-point favorite. Lando, who are you picking? Yeah, uh, Oklahoma won this past weekend against Western Carolina 76 to nothing. Uh, don't let that score fool you, fool you. There are still glaring problems on defense that I saw just from watching the highlights. So Oklahoma has a lot to work on this week in practice. Uh, I really hope they get these things tightened up because uh, in order to win a playoff game, you have to, uh, you have to tighten up the defense. Uh, that being said, Oklahoma is going to win this game handily. If Oklahoma doesn't win this game by at least 50, I'm going to be very upset. So I got Oklahoma by 55, Matt. So... I have got Oklahoma as well, but I'm taking Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and I'm giving Nebraska the points. I think it's going to be closer than 22. I think Nebraska is going to come out with their hair on fire in a way. Uh, and I think that because of Oklahoma's defensive problems, that that Nebraska may be able to score some um, to keep it closer than uh the 22, but I agree with you that Oklahoma should win this game by 50. I think Nebraska is going to keep it somewhat close. Uh, Oklahoma is going to pull away at some point. I think they win by 21. The way I look at this game, Oklahoma has a better coach. Oklahoma is more explosive. And Oklahoma has more talent than Nebraska. Nebraska, they looked a lot better last weekend. Uh, when they finally got a team that, you know, wasn't really that good. Um, week one, they looked terrible. I mean, one of the worst coach football teams I think I've ever seen. But so far, we're two weeks in, and the number three team has lost every single week. So I'm rolling with the trends. I'm picking Nebraska to win straight up. I think we get a massive upset this week in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, pretty much the last two number threes to go down. Charlotte might as well have been a home game for Clemson. Ohio State was in Columbus when they lost to Oregon. I know Nebraska is not even on the same level as Oklahoma. It's not even close. But I think Nebraska might have been overlooking some of the other teams that have been playing this year to get to this game because they knew this was going to be the game that is either going to make or break Frost's season and his career probably. Um, So I think Nebraska comes out firing. I think they score early. And I think Spencer Rattler makes a couple too many decisions, uh, bad decisions. And Nebraska sneaks away with the win. I'm taking Nebraska with the points, and I'm taking Nebraska straight up. That is my upset of the week. And moving on to the next pick, we got number eight, Cincinnati, who is a three-and-a-half-point favorite taking on Indiana, who's been a little bit disappointing this year. Lando, who you got? 
I'm going to go with Cincinnati by 10. I, I think Cincinnati is going to win this game. Uh, Indiana, they were, they were decent last year. I think they're going to figure some things out in this game just because Cincinnati is a better team. You know, you, you practice a little harder when you when you have to prepare for a, a good team like Cincinnati. So uh, I'm going to go with Cincinnati by 10. I'm with you. I, I take it, I'm taking Cincinnati to cover. Uh, look, Cincinnati... They showed me a lot last year when they went into the Peach Bowl and they hung with Georgia. I know Georgia had some key starters that didn't play in that game, but let's be real. Georgia's depth is every bit as good as anyone on Cincinnati, probably better. Um, Cincinnati's a good football team. Luke Fickle's done a really good job building that football team up. I think Cincinnati has a legit shot if they go undefeated this year. Uh, especially now with Ohio State losing and Clemson losing to, to, to throw their name in the ring for a, a college football playoff spot. Uh, this is part one of that. You got to win this game. Uh, you got to win, go 1 0 every week, as the coaches like to say. Uh, I like Cincinnati to do that this week, and I, I like the, them to cover as well. I, I've got them around 7 to 10 mark as well, Lando. Good pick. Yep, I'm with both of y'all. Cincy, big. I think it's Cincy by at least four touchdowns. Indiana, to me, has not looked good. Penix has not looked good to me. Maybe they take a step forward in a bigger game in their home stadium. I don't think they do. I think this is the game. People look at Cincinnati and go, you're a better team than Texas A&M. You're probably a better team than Iowa. You might even be a better team than Clemson this year. You need to be a top five team. You need to be a team that we actually look at to make the playoff. Because I do think they are a really, really solid team. Um Obviously, this could go a completely different way. Indiana has the talent to beat them. They had the coaching to beat them um, and help their season out. But I think Cincinnati is well coached. They got a lot of talent that came back from last year. Desmond Ritter, I think, is a top five quarterback in the country. Um, look for them to win this game huge and put their name on the map for sure. Now on to our next game. We got another big out-of-conference game. This one is Michigan State, who, in my opinion, should be ranked. Heading into number 24, Miami, who is a six-and-a-half-point favorite, and I don't think they should be ranked at all. I have no idea where they still are. So, Lando, who are you picking? Miami is horrible. Michigan State by three scores. Matt. Yeah, Michigan State. I've got Michigan State. I've been, I, I thought that this was going to be a big year for Michigan State on week one, uh, and, and so far they, they look exactly like what I thought they'd be. This is a steady-the-water type of year. For Michigan State, I don't think they're a great team, but they're a good, solid, really good defensive team. Got a good running game. Uh, I, I like Michigan State in this game. I think Miami, Manny Diaz, I believe, will be gone by the by at the end of this year, if not before the end of the year. Yeah, I, I don't know if Manny Diaz is going to get fired, but I do love Michigan State plus six and a half. If you're a betting man, hammer those points because, I mean, this is a gimme game. I could see it being close. I, I think they're close to the same level of, a, of football teams. I think they're both a uh, top 20 to 40 kind of team, kind of in that 20-point range-ish. So I could see it being a really good game, especially because it is in Miami. But I think Michigan State is better than Miami. I don't think they're a, a very good team this year. They did not look good against App State. They got absolutely destroyed by Alabama, which pretty much every team probably will this year. But – I got Michigan State. I think they're going to run the ball all over them, and I am loving the points. I think Michigan State's going to win by at least a touchdown, maybe even 10 points. And on to our next game, we got Purdue taking on number 12, Notre Dame. Notre Dame really struggled with 
Toledo last week. They only won by two and absolutely killed my parlay. Notre Dame is a seven-point favorite. Lando, who you got? Notre Dame is overrated, and I got Purdue upsetting Notre Dame, actually. Uh, the score, it's going to be really close. I got Purdue by five. So, I really want to pick Purdue, but I also feel like Notre Dame's just going to find a way to win with this game being at home. Uh, I, I, I don't love this matchup for, for Notre Dame at all. Uh, typically, when we talk about this game, shouldn't even be really that much of a conversation. I, I think Notre Dame wins by five uh, to seven. They, I don't, I don't think they cover. Uh, I, I, I'd love to pick Purdue, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Notre Dame at home. Yeah, Matt, uh, I kind of feel the same way. I think Notre Dame should win this game, especially because it's at home. Um, and then week three for Marcus Freeman, I think he'll step it up a little bit. But I'm going to take Purdue, and not even just because I don't think Notre Dame's that good, but it's because I think Purdue is actually pretty solid. I don't think they're a top 25 team, but I do think they're a top 30 team. I really like their quarterback, Jack Plummer. He's been really good since he got the start as a freshman. And um, their receiver, David Bell, has been an absolute beast ever since Rondell Moore went down two years ago. So I think they're going to put up a lot of points. Notre Dame's defense has really struggled um, besides Kyle Hamilton, who's been who's been awesome. Uh, Notre Dame's offense couldn't get going. Jack Cohn got hurt last week, so I don't even know if he's going to end up playing in this game. But I got Purdue. I think it's going to be very close. I think Purdue is going to take a huge lead to start the game, kind of like how they did against Ohio State. I don't think they're going to hold that lead. I think Notre Dame is going to make a little comeback in the second half, potentially um, have like a game-winning drive. But I think plus seven – is easy for Purdue. I think Purdue's going to end up winning the game straight up. And on to our next game. This is our out west game of the week. We have number 19, Arizona State, who is 2-0 in the Pac-12. A 3.5 point favorite heading to BYU, who is now ranked number 23 after their win over Utah. Lando, who you got? I think this, I think this is going to be a sneaky good game. Uh, I'm going to go Arizona State by two field goals. So I've got uh, I've got a ten fifteen kickoff on the East Coast. BYU breaks him back into the rankings. Uh, I I watched a little bit of that BYU Utah game, and I thought BYU looked pretty good. I think Jaron Hall's come in and done a really good job at quarterback for BYU this year. Um, the offense hasn't looked like it's taken a massive step back. It's a home game for BYU. I'm going to take BYU. Give me the points and straight up. I'm I'm going BYU. Yeah, I'm I'm going BYU too. I just think BYU is a well-coached team. They actually have a lot of that talent from the team from last year. They really just lost Zach Wilson um, and one of their top offensive linemen. But besides that, they're still a really sound football team. I don't think Arizona State's that good. Obviously, they're 2-0. They're ranked number 19. I think that ranking is way too high. I don't think they've gotten tested yet this year. Um, and I... I think it's going to be a big test for them. If this game was at Arizona State, I think I would take Arizona State. But since it's at BYU, BYU is coming off that big win against Utah. I think BYU is going to win the game. Um, and I really love it with the points, too. Arizona's given up three and a half. So, BYU it is. Now on to our SEC game of the week. We have number one, Alabama, as a 15-point favorite heading into the Swamp to take on number 11, Florida. Lando, who you got? Roll Tide, Matt. <laughs> I love every week. Lando's just like, you know what? Roll Tide. I'm not even going to give any analysis. Screw it. 
I, I think Alabama wins this game, um, ultimately. But I think it's going to be a little bit more of a test solely because Bryce Young is going into a hostile environment for the first time in his career as a starting quarterback. He's a sophomore, but he's basically a freshman. <laughs> um, look, uh, I I really like Bryce Young. Uh, I think last week he didn't look phenomenal against Mercer. Uh, like I'm, I've gotten spoiled with seeing uh, quarterbacks look over the past few years. Uh, like with Tua and Mac Jones, Bryce Young looked solid. Uh, he missed a few throws. I don't think that he's going to be able to make all the mistakes in one week and win this game. So I think Bryce Young plays a very solid game this week. Uh, and and if he does that, we should win. Plus, like and 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 cover. Um, I, I don't think Florida's defense is very good. But, and this is a very big if, if Anthony Richardson does play, he adds a mobile quarterback element that I don't think Emory, Emory Jones is mobile, obviously, but I think Anthony Richardson is a big, uh, a, a more of a threat in the passing game and in the running game, and he's more explosive. If Anthony Richardson plays a majority of the game, I think he solidifies himself as a starter and he makes it a closer game, uh, but I am taking Alabama. Shocker. See, I think Dan Mullen has some tricks up his sleeve for this game. I think with the first two weeks, the way Dan Mullen is, he looks at teams like FAU and USF, and he's like, I don't care. We're going to beat them. I don't care to, to do well against these teams. When he said it after... He doesn't care about games that aren't big games. I don't know what it is. I don't know if that's just the type of guy he is. I don't like that about him as a head coach at all. But I think that's the way he is. I think you're going to see the Florida offense look a lot better this week, at least coming out. I think Florida takes a lead in the first quarter. I think Bama has the lead at halftime, but I think it's close. I think it's a three. It could be tied. It might be a seven point. I don't think it's going to be more than seven point lead at halftime but I think coming out of halftime Nick Saban makes adjustments to the defense I think Bryce Young big throw to John Metchier one of the five-star receivers on that team completely takes the air out of the swamp uh the crowd kind of slows down a little bit Dan Mullen kind of gets figured out I think Bama ends up winning this game by about 20 points that minus 15 I think you got to hit that that is money to me. I mean, that's an easy, easy, easy pick. Minus 15, Bama. I'm hammering that all day against this Florida team. I don't think they match up well at all in the end. Um, I think it's going to be a Bama win by at least 20 points. And then moving on to our game of the week. This is a non-conference game. Number 22, Auburn, is heading to Happy Valley to take on number 10, Penn State. This is a whiteout game. Both these teams are undefeated. Both of them has have looked a lot better starting the season than at least I thought they would. Penn State is a six-point favorite. Lando, who you got? The whiteout and the home crowd is going to be the difference in this game. I'm going Penn State to cover. Yeah, Happy Valley at night is not a fun place or environment to play if you're an opposing team. Obviously, Bo Nix has looked a lot better this year, but it was against Akron and Alabama State. I don't think that that says much. 
And that Penn State defense is for real. I mean, we saw them against Wisconsin, what they can do. They want a defensive juggernaut. And look, I I think that Penn State wins this game and maybe knocks Auburn off their throne a little bit. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy watching Penn State be good, and I think Penn State wins this game. I do think it's close. I think they win this game by like three to five. Penn State's defense has looked really good against Wisconsin's offense, who I think sucks, and Ball State, who is Ball State. Auburn has looked really good against an FCS team in Alabama State and Akron. So obviously, offense and defense, they've looked great. Bo Nix has looked like a completely different quarterback. They've looked like a completely different team, but those teams suck. Bo Nix always looks good against teams that suck. Penn State has a good defense. I think Penn State is going to win the game, but I'm with Lando in the sense of I think it comes down to the wideout environment and the fact that College Game Day is going to be there. There's going to be a huge crowd there. It's going to be packed. There's going to be the biggest game of the whole weekend, um, even with Alabama-Florida going on. I think this is a really close game. I think it comes down to the last second, and I think Penn State wins. I don't think they're going to cover. Um, I think Penn State, last second field goal, maybe even in overtime. I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch, and I plan on watching every single second of it. Just to put that in perspective for you, Akron lost to Temple this past weekend, and Temple has been hot garbage ever since Jeff Collins left. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Temple got hammered by Rutgers. But, I mean, if you watch the game, Auburn looks better. Bo Nix is more accurate than he's ever been. Demetrius Robertson actually looks really good, which has kind of surprised me too. But they're using him in the ways that I wish Georgia would have used him when he was at Georgia. See, I felt that way about Demetrius Robinson the whole time that he was at Georgia because he had a really explosive freshman year at Cal until he got hurt. He had like 800 yards receiving and a handful of touchdowns at, at Cal in like four or five games. Maybe it was a little more than that. But dude was going off out west, and then he transferred to Georgia, and I was like, oh, man, Georgia's got a weapon, and they never really utilized him right. No, no, we didn't use him right. And the reason was, I mean, number one, we really didn't have the right passing game. Obviously, with Jake Fromm and whatever. Obviously, the passing game's changed a lot now. But number two, we kept trying to use him as like a. We throw him like screens and just because he's because he's a fast player, we throw him screens and try and get him going with the ball. And he's not really that kind of guy. He's more of a you want him to run streaky kind of routes and uh, beat corners and not really stand in the slot and kind of run around like a Miko Hardman. He's more like kind of like a Henry Ruggs, but not as fast. Like he's not a guy. You want to throw like little – I mean, Henry Ruggs is a good screen receiver too, but he's a guy you want to get going forward and not side to side. And Georgia did not do that well with him. And and I'll tell you why they did that. They, so he, he played at Savannah Christian, and they ran an option system. So he was in the backfield a lot whenever he was in high school. Uh, he also – he would go out wide. They would have like set up passing plays for him. But – he he came out as an athlete because they didn't throw the ball that much in high school. So he made a lot of those, but they did a lot of bubble screens and they schemed stuff like that up for him in high school. So while he was getting recruited, that was what his player profile was to be an athlete, to be that Miko Hartman, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith kind of guy. And I don't think that it ever really translated to the college game. And that's where like, Recruiting ranking, rankings can be really finicky because he was the number one athlete in the nation. He was a beast of a player. He, I still think he's really good, um, but you know, maybe not 
never going to pan out to be what I, I thought he was going to be. I mean, he just needs to be used right. I mean, that's what Cal did with him. Cal just sent him on on streak routes and just sent him straight forward. Didn't make him run routes or anything. It was literally just run and beat the beat the corner. We'll throw the ball up to you and you'll go get it. And that's what they did. Georgia didn't do that at all. Auburn's been doing that with them against Akron and, Al- and Alabama State. And he's done great. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Before you guys log off today, please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on our Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show. We'll be happy to include as much as we can. Our artist of the week is The Sleeping. Personally, I've been a huge fan of The Sleeping ever since I was a kid hearing their songs in Guitar Hero and Man 2007. They're playing a reunion show in New York on December 23rd at Irving Plaza. So if you're in the area, definitely check them out. I know I'm going to try to swing it for sure. Here's their song, Don't Hold Back, to play us out. Have a great week. (laughs) 